Blog Talk Radio. Another edition of Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches, a podcast from the Geek Girls perspective. And I am the head huntress, and we have a excellent show for you tonight. Ladies, gentle witches, friends and colleagues all out there in Facebook, social media land out there. Uh, we are, uh, this is a pretty annual show for most film geeks. If you go on the web, you're going to hear tons of these podcasts. And let's just throw one more Poop over that fucking peg. Why not? So let's have our offer recap here on the Sexy Witches and how we feel about it tonight. We're going to talk about, like, all the winners. We're going to talk about our favorite moments during the show, any issues we had with the show. At least two of us Sexy Witches have watched the show in the entirety. I actually live blasted the thing on Facebook. So you can go on Facebook and look for hashtag Oscar Obsession. And you'll see my blast from the live the live screening. Uh, are we happy? Are we satisfied? You'll have to wait until nine, our 9.30 in our second half hour. When Oren Koenig, who joined us for our Oscar nominations talk in three episodes back, will rejoin us to continue the Oscar talk now that we have winners. But first, let me introduce my sexy witches. My first sexy witch co-host resides in Clifton Forge, Virginia, a regular on the East Coast Horrorcon circuit, and my partner in crime. She's a horror fan, a self-professed fan, super fan of the Marvel Universe, and a featured zombie in Plan 9 from Outer Space Remake. That's going to come into the sh- uh, important to the show, folks, so we'll talk about that in a minute. And look for her on the web in ways that you would find extremely surprising. Please welcome to the show, the sexy porn witch, Erin Marie. Hello, you're on with the sexy witches, my dear. Hello. Hello, how are we doing today? I'm doing quite well today, a little tired, a little sore, but I'm here. (laughs) Did you, uh, are you getting any snow? Not that I'm aware of, I wish I was. I've been begging for a, at least one good blizzard before this spring comes in. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's all going to be north of us tonight. I was really hoping for a snow day, but I got a high Wednesday. They closed down the federal government on Friday, so I had a three-day weekend. 
That was awesome. Nice. So, yeah, so that was cool. So we have to talk, but I'm going to come back to you in just a minute um, and introduce the rest of my panel. But we are leading off with you, and we are finishing the night with you, Erin Marie. You're in the spotlight. This is your moment to shine, sexy witch. <laughs> it's all about me. No pressure. <laughs> okay. All right, and that sexy voice you hear on the other side of the world in Seattle, Washington, is my sexy werewitch. Ha, 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 Aaron. God, he is totally uh, distracting me. I will tell you how. Um, <laughs> my, sexy, my sexy witch co-host of Seattle, Washington, is a visual artist, a writer for Living Dead magazine. She is um, an inspiring filmmaker and a published author. Uh, the horror geek to explain. I'm reading the wrong one. Yeah, no. Live action role play <laughs> participant. Look for the wolfy attitudes and personal writings on the Queenie uh, Todd popular blog and YouTube channel. And find art on in our store envy page, Marrow Minded Crafts. Please welcome to the show my sexy werewitch co host, Queenie Todd. How you doing? Welcome. Oh. <laughs> That's how oh, I'm doing. <laughs> wow. So how's Seattle? If you don't speak you? werewolf, I don't know what to do for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you know. Oh my God. You, you, I'm so mad at Aaron. I'm I'm gonna have to smack him. He just posted something called what? fish dick, and it's just a picture of a fish. <laughs> it looks like a dick. And well, I'm trying to give my intro. He posts this picture, pops up, and that's why I was all messed up. I was like, ah. Way to go, Aaron. (laughs) You ruined it for everyone. I was merely responding to the previous post. I (sighs) didn't even see the previous post. I'm in the freaking studio. I'll have to look. I'll have to look. Now you got me all (laughs) upset. All right. I'm so sorry. My other guest host tonight is my regular L.A. correspondent. Uh, he's an actor playing pirate Shakespeare uh, in Orange County area. Been a singing waiter, served in medieval times. It's the biggest Disney geek I know and fantastic and a fanatic for pin trading. Please welcome back to the show my sexy warlock of Orange County, my cousin, Aaron Cogan. You're on with the Good evening, everyone. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Good evening. Yeah, it's been a couple of episodes since you've been on, sir. It's true. I missed a couple. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) But Uh, now you're talking about Oscars, and and I love the Oscars, so I had to come back. And and also next episode and this is a preview of next week, uh next in two weeks, you are going to preview WonderCon, which you're going to. Yes indeed. Yeah. Very excited so for that. but but we're not gonna talk about that. We're actually going to talk about your in a few minutes. I'm gonna go back to Erin Marie and lead off with her, but get ready, sir. I want you to talk about your adventures seeing the finale of Star Wars Rebels last night. Oh, I'm very happy to. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. So, but first, let's go back to Erin Marie. Erin Marie. Me. So, I, I 
of all, I did, did you know that they're screening uh, plan, the Plan 9 from Outer Space remake uh, very soon nearby? Yes, and I wish I could go. Yeah. Because that just seems like a lot of fun to me. Do you want to talk about it, or do you want me to talk about it? No, I mean, um, I did get to see it in a group setting once at a convention, which was really nice. It was packed. So if you have the opportunity to go, <laughs> um, it's in Philadelphia, correct? Yes, correct. At the Cinema Insomnia in Philadelphia on South at the South Street Cinema. So right on South Street in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So, um uh, Dean, and guess who is hosting? Uh, Mr. Lobo. Absolutely, Mr. Lobo himself, yeah, that's, who's that's the what host I of Blob Fest. That's, that's, and, that's where I met him, was on yep. the set of uh, Plan 9 when we were filming. I actually filmed two different scenes. I'm two different zombies in it. I can be seen a total of four and a half times if you count my elbow in one shot. <laughs> and you die on camera, like and I die on camera. Yes, which is and awesome. that was the very first scene uh, I ever filmed, which was nice. Yeah, your pratfall is excellent, actually. It's a really good job, and the edit is really good. Everyone on that take, everyone hits the same time, and it looks really good. I'm sure they were very proud of that take. So, and you're right in the middle. Boop. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah, Mr. Lobo, who's been on the show, he was a couple of Halloweens back. We had him on the show. Uh, and, of course, we love Blob Best. And Mr. Lobo also was a protege of one of my heroes, Bob Wilkins, in the San Francisco Bay Area. So we love Mr. Lobo. Um, this is the Philly premiere, even though it's been around for a little while. But they're showing it, Plan 9, and uh, they're going to sell DVDs, autographs, blah, 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 all that fun stuff. It's actually sponsored by someone who's been on the show as well, uh, Will Kelpner, uh, who it was, uh, you know, uh, he's uh, part of the Philly Unnamed Film Festival. He's been on the show once a couple of times. Uh, he He's hosting uh, also. Uh, so it's actually going to be a lot of fun, and you can go see Aaron Marie's movie, and it's Plan 9 from Outer Space, because, you know, it's Ed Wood, and Ed Wood tributes, and we always love Ed Wood it tributes, is, and, you know. It is gloriously cheesy. Gloriously cheesy. Just a lot of fun. The music yeah. is good. Camilla Keaton's got, like, a, a little bit part in it. They, you'll see some recognizable faces in horror. There's a few cameos, but uh, it's just a lot of fun. Great. And that is on March 10th, and it's at 8 o'clock, once again, at the South Street Cinema in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. If we were doing a community calendar, which we're not going to do a full one tonight because we have the Monster Mania preview at the back half of the show, um, it, this would be one of the highlights of the community calendar. So go see Plan 9 from Outer Space. Go see Aaron Marie's movie. So fabulous, fabulous. So yeah. uh, we're going to move mm-hmm. on to Queenie Todd for a minute. Queenie, before we move to, because I have definitely stuff to talk with Aaron Kogan about. Do you have anything you need to declare? Um, no, I don't think so. Other than like, I've been doing a lot of videos on my channel. If you like horror stuff and other weirdness, you know, you can check out some of my videos. I also have been streaming a lot. So. I was going to say, how's your live streaming stuff going? How's it? Yeah, that's great. great oh yeah it's so much fun it's just like hanging out with people you know 
It's like a big hangout party. I feel like it's a con. And so, like you're in the green room, just hanging out. Uh-huh. <laughs> so who called? Like. Do we know any of the people that hung out with us, with you? Um, you guys probably wouldn't. They're like other vloggers that I watch, you know, other horror fans. You know, they have, there's so many people doing horror stuff and you don't know it because YouTube hides everybody. So when well, you we know you need to bring those people calls, on this show. Bring them on the show. Yeah, maybe. Bring them on the show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been no, bringing my no, friends on cross, the show. <laughs> we're all about cross-pollination here, you know, so cross-pollination. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you so see my video show, about you... Michelle Ness? Uh, I haven't watched the interview yet. No. Actually, it's pretty good. I thought it posted. I had to censor I, a big a... chunk of it because <laughs> she's playing with like a, a dong, you know. And I wasn't sure if you, like YouTube would get mad about her playing with a sex toy like that, you know. It, it was funny though. <laughs> I, I, I have the I raw tried footage, to so. watch it right before a broadcast, but for some reason I could only get your tag video, the one before it, to play. I don't know what happened. So I'm going to try oh, again. Geez. It really wasn't my fault, honestly, because I usually watch your show right okay. before I'm getting ready for this show. So, um, yeah. but yeah, I know. Watch, <laughs> watch Queenie's Shit. Queenie's Shit's doing good. It's been featured on the Save YouTube uh, thing that's going on around here. And, uh, you know, let's end the ad apocalypse on YouTube. They're, you know, you know, yeah. YouTube is getting worse and worse. It used to be kind of free reign. And, you know, we knew someday this would happen. It always does, yep. but, you know, it's yep. still sad to see the demise of such a free and open uh, 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 platform. So but we're going to move on because we got more sadness to talk about, but this time it's another oh, end, and this <laughs> end is a Star Wars end, so it really isn't an end because Star Wars will go on and on and on, and there'll be Star Wars movies after we're long dead. And people are listening to this podcast going, what the fuck is this? So, <laughs> welcome to... So, Aaron Kogan. Yes. You said you went to the, the, the finale of Rebels, which was a bittersweet exactly adventure right. for you. Indeed. Um, it was held at the Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, which is always a treat to go on the lot. It's an actual working studio. Uh, I hadn't been there in a while at night, and they've got a really lovely little uh, castle sculpture done in neon, and that was kind of cool to see all lit up. Uh, We went into uh, the Pinocchio Theater, which is the main theater they use for things like this, so it was great to see the last hour and a half of Star Wars Rebels on a big screen with a whole bunch of fans and celebrity fans and uh, Dave Deloney and uh, the voice talent of Star Wars Rebels. And and exactly as you said, it was bittersweet. Uh, They wrapped it up really well. Uh, They did leave things open. Uh, Since it just premiered on TV last night, I don't know how spoilerific you want me to be. I, I could go into actual details or I could be vague, depending I know we're How? usually. Go ahead. I was going to say, none of us have actually seen it. So uh, oh, okay. you okay. can be as, you know, I, I, I don't think any of us here have seen the final Rebels. So let's be medium spoilerific. Okay. Okay. Well, um, 
after four years, they wrapped things up really nicely. Uh, some of the main characters didn't make it all the way to the end. Um, at the very beginning, uh, Dave, who is a writer, director, creator, came out and was kind of teasing everyone. And uh, we knew from previous episodes and uh, from Rogue One uh, that the character Hera makes it all the way through. And he made a little joke about Hera. You're, you think your chances are pretty good tonight, right? Everyone else, eh, not so much. So uh, there, was a, there was a little bit of trepidation, you know, wondering if our favorite characters were going to make it or not. Uh, but all in all, much like the show itself, I, I, it's, it's hard to, to judge all the different animated shows uh, comparing to each other. Uh, Clone Wars is definitely a favorite. And when Rebels came out, a lot of us were, you know, well, what the hell? What happened to our Clone Wars? You know, when Disney bought Star Wars, they just ended it abruptly with nothing. Uh, Dave got permission and actually posted online some of the animatics for episodes that never got done. And then at Star Wars Celebration, he showed them on the big screen and, and talked about them. But Rebels, as you may or may not know, was set... Uh, before A New Hope, and uh, it, it covered some of the ground in between the two trilogies, the prequel trilogy and then A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Uh, and it, we came to love the, the, the characters. Uh, the, this show was very definitely designed about family and choosing your family. So, you know, we kind of all fell in love with the family of characters. And unfortunately, because story arcs being what they are, it was designed so some characters didn't make it, which is always hard. Uh, But it ended really nicely. And uh, it actually set up, if they want to follow it, uh, the next series. But Dave was his typical vague Dave-ness self. He didn't really give us any details on what might be next, uh, if anything. So we're all just kind of uh, holding our breath and waiting to see what Disney announces as far as animated shows go. Um, We've got Solo in the Barrel, obviously live action uh, for this May. And then we've got Episode 9 coming up, uh, which John Williams, just this last week, as a matter of fact, John Williams said that's going to be his last Star Wars film. Uh, John Williams is tapping out doing scores, yeah, Uh, which was also on our minds when we were talking about it. Um, Oh, gosh. um, Great, now I'm going to blank on his name. Uh, The guy who played Turk in Scrubs... And then on Robot Chicken, he was the stormtrooper who oh, yeah. took his daughter to work day. Uh, Donald, Donald Faison, okay? He was sitting right behind me. And when oh, it came time cool. for the questions and answers, and he was sitting right next to Seth Green, who's sporting a really manly beard right now. But uh, he, uh, he, he was all in Dave's face saying, come on, what's the next series? When are you starting work on it? We need that next series now. And uh, Dave Filoni is kind of, if you ever get a chance to see a panel with him at a con, I highly recommend. He's kind of a, a Zen warrior Jedi master. He really believes the stuff that he's doing. 
he really be- you can tell he believes in the force when when someone uh, asked about nature and all the animals being a huge part of Star Wars Rebels and you know how they represented the force or how they reflected the force and everything uh, Dave continually would come back to saying yeah um, we're just going back to what the force is in the films and it's an energy field that surrounds us penetrates us binds the galaxy together and sometimes he gets a little embarrassed sounding like Yoda the Jedi Master but he he shouldn't be because he's really cool when he does that. I really enjoy when he gets on that kick. Well, uh, you know, John Williams. (laughs) Yeah, this sounds like a great time. And, you know, we'll talk about John Williams for sure, because he's, um, we're going to talk about the winner of score uh, later on in the Oscar talk. Cause I actually have some things to say about that. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) But we will, uh, uh, but we will go. We will talk about that soon. What was it? Nine twenty-one. So we have. I have one other thing of news that would be on a community calendar, but because we're not doing one, I wanted to bring it up real quick. Um, right now, the hottest film, you've, horror film you've never heard of, is a movie called Mohawk. It's having mini. It's on a mini tour, doing premieres all over the United States. Uh, it just played up in Syracuse, New York. And Tom uh, took in Tom Clark of the Necrocasticana and my, and my new podcast, uh, The Repo Nerds, got to go. And it was with the director, Ted Geogoe. I always miss his name. It's Geogoe Higgin. Geogoe Higgin. Uh, Ted Geogoe. Oh, I can't even say it. But anyway, um, he was the director <laughs> of We Are Still Here. And remember that horror film? I know Queenie remembers We Are Still Here. That was with Last Besserden. Uh, it's really, really good movie. Uh, it's about it's a haunted house, home invasion movie, a little of everything. Um, uh, and uh, so his new film is Mohawk, which is a, a horror western, which are always at my alley, is having a film right premiere on. on March 9th. So r- coming right up, so like on Friday. Uh, so, uh, or is it, yeah, Friday at 7.30, uh, and it's not even that expensive. So go see it, meet the director. It's going to be the best, one of the best films of the year already. So far, there's been a couple really good horror films come out in January. Hooray. It always happens. Uh, so, uh, the ritual was good. And we also have the new film Netflix just dropped Veronica which is also really good. So check out Netflix's dropping some horror films. Keep Look out right for those. Yeah, Does I've anybody heard Veronica's watch- really good. I, I've been wanting to. I tried to get uh, people to watch it with me all weekend and couldn't get them to sit down. So <laughs> what about um, uh, The Ritual? Has anybody seen that yet? This is a pagan film and we're sexy witches. No. Not yet. Guys. No. Watch that shit. Now, it's a monster movie, and it's a pagan film. It's both, and it's a People Lost in the Woods movie. It's a little bit of everything. And it's pretty it's well done. It's on my list. So check. It's on my yeah, list. Watch it's it. well rounded. Watch that shit. Watch that shit. Anyway, okay, so watch that shit. That's right. Okay, so before we get into the Oscars, let's talk about the worst movies before we start getting into the Oscars. Let's talk about the Razzies, because the Razzies are always released right before the Oscars. And does anybody want to know who won Worst Picture? 
Oh, I already know. It was the Emoji Movie. Big surprise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, my, wow, so surprised. Daughter, <laughs> I called My that. daughter watches this movie a lot. I've yet to try oh. to sit through it. Um, it's the first movie to clear the censors in Saudi Arabia in 23 years. So it's actually <laughs> getting a minimal release there, which I think is really funny. Um, so the Emoji Movie won Worst Picture. Uh, Tom Cruise won Worst Actor for The Mummy. Uh, worst Actress was Tyler Perry. Uh, boo, Amadea, Halloween 2. But, you know, honestly... <laughs> I, I kind of give those movies a pass because they're their own league of film. They're like their own subgenre, so it's not very fair. Um, this one is fair. Worst supporting actor, Mel Gibson, Daddy's Home Two. Absolutely, anybody associated with that film should die or get sick. It's <laughs> terrible. What? <laughs> it's terrible. Daddy's Home was uh, actually what? really freaking hysterical, but I haven't seen the second oh, one no, yet. Oh no, no, no. Okay. Worst Supporting Actress is Kim Bassinger for Fifty Shades Darker. Now, I do want to defend Kim Bassinger and most of the actors and actresses in these films. What's wrong with these movies has nothing to do with them except for the guy who plays Christian Grey. He is awful, awful, terrible, terrible actor. Not my hashtag, not my Christian, not my Christian. No, terrible, terrible, terrible Christian Grey. The whole series was going to live or die on how the chemistry between Dakota Johnson and whoever played Christian Grey. And there is no chemistry. I sat through the first one, grinding my teeth, because I'm like, okay, the, mo- the book is bad, but I can see potential of a good, raunchy, pulpy te- exploitation movie. There's a chance. Yeah. It's written by a woman. It's directed by a woman. The DP was a woman. Everything about it should be stuff I like, right? And it's about S&M. So what is there not to like? I've read the first no. pretty bad. No, okay. No, no. So I got it's through, ostensibly I got about first, SM. It's not really about SM. I got through the first movie. I got through the first two books. I got through the second movie and got about halfway <laughs> through the second movie and couldn't, like, I just could not believe how stupid like, how do you make something so dumb and just take it and make it even dumber? I, I've never, like, there's a scene, which actually in the book is not bad. By the time she's writing the second book, she's kind of figured out to use more than, like, love, like pucker love and all these weird metaphors. She's starting to figure out how to write a sex scene. So there's, like, two sex scenes in the book that actually work. They try to direct it on camera and... It's like this spanking scene. It's just ridiculous. I'm just looking at this point. Really? Really? And then I happened to catch the third film. That movie was Oscar-worthy compared to what the third movie. Oh, my God. Why? Why do they sell us this shit? Why do they think women, women eat this up? Why are we eating this up, women? Don't buy that shit. That is not the stuff we want to support. It seems like it would be. It looks like it would be. It's not. It's not. Oh, my God. Ken Bassinger is ridiculous. The whole movie is ridiculous. Poor Dakota Johnson looks like she's just stuck in this shithole movie and making a <laughs> lot of money, but miserable the whole time. 
Christian Grey is just the absolute worst character on the place of the planet. Why would anybody want to date Amen. that guy? I mean, he's absolutely terrible. And you know what? There could have been potential there because there are, it, you know, there are ways to make him vulnerable, to make him easy to like. I mean, if Ray Fiennes can make a Nazi seem vulnerable, a Nazi <laughs> that's shooting people with black and white, it, you know, shooting people that are all, that are taking breaks on the job from his window, and we feel vulnerability of that character, then it's possible to make Christian Grey likable. Okay, it is. It's absolutely possible. Schindler's listed it. They can make Christian Grey possible. I'm sorry, <laughs> and it's not. He's terrible. He's stiff as a board, and he's and the character is just awful. He's domineering. He's always in her face. He never lets her go. She's trying to take care of her shit, and she'll come back to him on her own. But no, I have to interrupt. I have to call people. The revenge plot was stupid. I mean, it's mm. just like what the fuck, people. I'm sorry. Okay, so Kim Basinger There's a wins great the Razzie. feminist Marxist uh, <laughs> reading of. I, I I don't know who wrote the paper, but someone did a really good. <laughs> feminist Marxist reading of the whole thing and, you know, wraps it up with a nice bow. Here's capitalism 2018 and uh, it's pretty spot on. If you if you can find it online, I recommend reading it. Uh, uh, Fifty Shades Darker, which is the second film in the series, also won rip-off, <laughs> worst rip-off sequel or remake, okay? And then the Emoji Movie, One Worst Director, which is not really fair because there's not much directing in an animation movie. Worst Screenplay went to Emoji Movie, and I think it just gets – but, you know, Mike White helped write this screenplay. You know, he's the guy who is the podcaster on the directions group. So uh, does that mean – I wonder if he's going to talk about it on his podcast. He's projections. Hmm. Yeah, he's, I think he is. He's the projections group. So I'm actually really curious if he won a Razzie to see what he has to say. And then, um, you know, uh, and then last but not least, what, I, there's one more that uh, the uh, oh, emoji one screen combo. There's one other Razzie that I, it's a new one this year. Hold on. It's in my other notes because I had to find it because it's not on my list. Hold on. It's about The Rock. Dwayne, uh, oh. Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. Dwayne Johnson got accepted his new Razzie um, in person. Yeah. Huh. Um, <laughs> The new Razzie Award was so bad you loved it. Okay, so a film that people nice. like that that uh, you know that really you know that, and so he won it for his uh, Baywatch movie. So which actually is supposed to be not terrible. Uh, so he won it for the Baywatch movie, and so he went to Twitter and live tweeted on Sun Oscar Sunday to humbly accept the award like a champ. He is saying, "Hey, that's just the way love goes." So he wrote. It's the it's the hashtag Oscars and Hollywood's biggest night. So let me go ahead and take this this uh, right on the chin for Baywatch. Win some, you lose one. But hey, that's the way love goes. Razzie Awards hashtag Baywatch shit sandwich hashtag and the winner loses on. So that's, that's I thought that was really cute. So nice. Uh, yeah, so very nice. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I'm going to take a quick break, um, and then, oh, well, I thought my caller was there. Uh, I'm going to still take a quick break, uh, play, play a quick promo, and then we're going to come back, and we are going to talk Oscars for a little while. So I'll see you in a few. Loud Sound Productions, 
in association with the Sexy Witches Presents. Repo Nerds, the podcast where there's no such thing as indecent exposure, restoring nerd cred, one geek at a time. A live, interactive experience, Thursdays at 10 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio, with your hosts, writer, Token Tom Clark, and the head huntress, archivist, Elizabeth Catherine Gray. Yeah, so Repo Nerds is the other one. We are on, I am now a network here on the Sexy Witches thread here on Blog Talk. Every once in a while, myself and Token Tom Clark, who normally is on the Necrocasticon of Project Entertainment Network, um, comes over and we are pulling each other's cards, uh, watching films that we have never seen before. Uh, this one, next one will be the 13th. I see you, Oren. I'll be there in a minute. Uh, or it's just giving my guests is calling in. Uh, I, um, the next one, we actually found out we both hadn't seen it or hadn't seen it in 30 some years and it's rock and roll high school. So that'll be on the 13th Tuesday at 9 PM. Come, come back to this thread and listen to me talk about if I like the Ramones movie or not. So that'll be awesome. Awesome. Now, uh, we're going to talk Oscars. And my guest is coming on, and uh, so, oh, I lost my intros for him. Oh, oh, I can still make it up. Um, he is a colleague and a friend, and he you, you can look for his writings on The Sophomore Critic, which is his blog, and he updates it quite regularly. And um, he also is starting a new YouTube channel, so I'll have him talk about that um, as he comes on. And he was on about three episodes ago uh, to talk about the Oscar nominations, and so I invited him back to talk about the winners and how the actual show went. So please, well, everyone, welcome to the show, Mr. Orrin Conan. How are you doing, sir? Hey. You're on with the Sexy Witches. How is it going? It's really Hello. great to be here. Hello. Uh, it's great welcome. to be here. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh yeah, we hear awesome! I'm really happy to be here. I have seen, I've now seen, I saw Shape of Water and Three Billboards and Darker Fellow on top of the other films I said I saw last time. So definitely a bit more prepared when Oscar night came. And uh, yeah, just happy to be here to talk about it with you guys. The only movies I didn't get to fit in were Dunkirk and what was the other one? I can't think. I saw pretty much most of the best pictures and most of the supporting actors and things like that as well, categories. That's pretty so impressive. I, I, actually, I, was, I, was well I actually didn't see Call yeah. Me By Your Name or Phantom Thread oh, or Lady Bird. That's so good. So, but I also hmm. knew exactly what to expect with them, I think. I was really um, kind of hoping that because of the plagiarism controversy that Guillermo del Toro would not get it and that it would go to Call Me By Your Name. That's how much I loved it. Interesting. Uh, yeah, no, I knew uh, it would be good. First of all, that was not going to happen because the, uh, the plagiarism thing actually had already come out. I had read an article about it like two, three weeks before it dropped like it did. Um, and he, had already, he had already won the PGA and the DGA by the time that the story yeah. dropped the second And voting time. was already done. So, yeah, so, and the voting was ended. So there was no way it was going to affect Guillermo del Toro's vote. And if, you know, and if you the, always, you can always predict an Oscar by who it wins, um, the PGA and the DGA. So the Producer Guild Award and the Director's yep. Guild. This year, both of them chose Shape of Water. 
And so that was it. It was an absolute lock. Last year, they split. They went, one went Moonlight, one went La La Land. That's why it went back and forth, <laughs> even to the fucking envelope opening. All right. It was really that close. It was that close uh, last year. Uh, which one was going to win? So this year, it was not that close at all. It was Guillermo del Toro's year. Everyone knew it. And I only missed two of the categories this year, not counting the shorts. I got, I only missed production design and foreign language. I did get feature documentary. Um, in foreign language, I voted for the square. I thought that was going to get it. And for production design, I thought they were going to go with Blade Runner and give visual effects to Jedi. And I was wrong mm-hmm. about that. Even though I knew they were going to give visual effects to Blade Runner, I got it right, yeah. but I thought maybe they would upset Star Wars. My upset, um, they didn't. They went with the every every choice they made was obvious, except for yeah. production design. And production design was obvious too. I just went with the gamble. I threw the dice, thinking Blade Runner might upset Shape of Water. There, uh, yeah, just like the sound <laughs> mixing and sound editing always goes to the war movie. So Dunkirk was oh, yeah. loudest. Fucking war movie once again. <laughs> Yawn. Bullets, bullets. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, boom. You know what? There I, is art. <clears throat> Sorry, go ahead. I've never, uh, I haven't been as sure of a category as watching Shape of Water and thinking this is just really beautiful in terms of production design. I was 100% behind that. However, I will say I did not see Blade Runner, and I've seen 36 films this year. And I think Blade Runner is the one I regret missing, but I couldn't see it on the big screen, and I felt like just watching it on home video might not really be as good an experience. So, so that did leave well, me in the yeah. on that judgment. I have it downstairs on my theater screen because I wouldn't watch it on a regular television. No, it's not that kind of movie at all. <laughs> um, Roger Dinkins finally wins. Um, took him 14 fucking times, including once when he was nominated against himself and still lost. Uh, I love that year. That year. Um, so, uh, he do you, does anybody know what two movies he was nominated for and he lost him against himself? And which one won? No. Do you know? I can give. Okay. Give me a hint. They're all very weird movies and they're all very dark. Mm-hmm. All right. Give me a year. Have you ever been maybe? Uh, it would be um, Javier Bardem is in one of them. So no country for old men then. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that so was. Other, uh, I do know there will be blood one one year. So. That's the same year. There will be blood. You got two. Oh, there so you what go. was the other nomination? It's one of my favorite. Driving on the butterfly. No, it was uh, for um, the, the Tim Burton movie the, that came out. Uh, the, the Jesse the James. No, the Jesse oh. James shot by the cat or Conward Ford was the other oh, yeah. nominations. So three of the one of my three that that year was a year of depression. If you look at those three films, they're like, oh my god, did the Hollywood need Valium that year? Uh, you know, it's really dark films. But Roger Dinkins was up for two of those, and There Will Be Blood one. So that was the year he was up for two. I always think of like, whoa, what stiff competition. Uh, so, um, so we're so psyched, and he was so sweet and cute on stage. Everyone, I, I wanted to gobble him up. I was like, oh, he's so <laughs> humble, and 
you know, he's taking this in stride. He doesn't need one to validate his career. No, he doesn't. He does not. Uh, you know, but we're so happy. Um, that, that, there was only two awards that I wanted to see happen for sure, even though, like I said, I got them all right, almost all right. I wanted to see Roger Jenkins finally win his cinematography award, and I wanted to see Jordan Peele win best screenplay. And he did. Yeah. Hooray, hooray, hooray. <laughs> Congratulations, Jordan Peele. He's the first African-American writer to win an Oscar. Uh, is absolutely is... incorrect. Absolutely incorrect. He's the fourth. Uh, John Four. Ridley, uh mm-hmm. and Steve McQueen of 12 Years of Slave. You're thinking original. Uh, the two African-American writers from Moonlight and the African-American writer for Precious. Uh-huh. We did your kids at writing credit. I, again, well, maybe, I, I, uh, maybe. yeah. It was original screenplay, but well, it's not much of a statistic. And I also feel like I hope they didn't give it to him just to try to make history on that front because, again, it no, was a really good year. No, I don't think so. It was a great screenplay. I, 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 I pulled that screenplay. There, there's websites that the, that screenplay was circling around. It is phenomenal screenplay. And everything that everything you're seeing on screen, all the sound music checks, all the all the, the references to other movies is all from that script. Yeah. Like he he knew his shit. He knew seventies horror I'm a seventies horror geek. Everyone knows Aaron Marie and I watch a lot of seventies horror together. And <laughs> oh, yeah. that movie hits those notes. Stepford Wives and and Philip Kaufman's Body Snatchers. It's from that era of film. Rosemary's and Baby. It feels like it. Rosemary's Baby. It's to an extent the Dunwich Horror. Uh, the, yeah. Was it the Burning? All those films that came out the you know mid seventies, <clears throat> early to early eighties. Not the Burning. Uh, no, is that no? What's the one about the Evil House with Karen Shields? Burnt Offerings. Oh, Burnt Offerings. Burnt Offerings. Yeah. Burnt so offerings. Okay. A lot of those films are like all shouted out in that script, and it's kind of incredible, <laughs> you know. But only a film geek would see them. <clears throat> like he knows we're out there looking at his movie, going, you know, you better be more than just social commentary, motherfucker. Scare us. You did. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know, we wanted to be. We wanted social commentary. I have no problem with social commentary in my horror. I think it's horror is the place where anything so- can be talked about. I suppose we could ask a question, which movie do you think had the right balance between social commentary and entertainment? Um, I'll go last, I guess, since I asked the question. Um, this is, I think, an era where we all, where I think a, a max of critics, not myself particularly, uh, really are trying to mine movies for social commentary. And the movies themselves might be read differently by audiences. But I, I won you three, though, I guess, of the nominees, perhaps. Hmm. I'm sorry? Let you take this, Aaron. You're the, you're the pro- political geek of our group. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I can't help but think that, you know, horror as as a separate genre has been political commentary right from the very effing beginning. I, I mean, if you're going to give uh, Mary Shelley credit with Frankenstein, modern Prometheus, I, I mean, she was commenting on what was being done uh, in medicine at the time. I mean, that was certainly an element of that. One of my favorite 
horror and the birth of kaiju as a thing, Godzilla was very definitely commentary on uh, nuclear weapons and, and atomic power. Uh, I think it runs all throughout it. And, you know, so much ink has been spilled on why zombies are the go-to monster of our era right now. That, you know, we, we could do three shows on that. Uh, but, you know, they all I'm come in, back I'm to... I'm the nominees this year. Which one did you think had the best commentary? Or the best balance uh, of commentary? Political commentary? Entertainment. Yeah. For instance, I would say that the the upper echelon of films, I would say Dunkirk, calling by Dunkirk, um, the three billboards in Shape of Water did a really good job of... Well, Shape of Water and Dunkirk did a great job of being meaningful without hitting us over the head with it. Um where do you stand on those films, I guess? Oh, okay. So uh, when you, you're, you're saying meaningful uh, as uh, meaningful. being commentary on time, right? Three billboards. Yeah. I think three billboards. Actually, I like three billboards the best, and I was hoping I, mean, I would win because I thought it was, it was uh, yeah. I, I'm looking at this list here, Lauren, and what I'm seeing is I'm seeing that there's something for everybody on this list and someone who might be connected to Lady Bird would not be connected to Dunkirk. And they both have yeah. equally mm. important things to say. Um, you know, the only film I think that is really like, like the best social commentary without actually having to like pitch a premise hammer over the head with it might be the Phantom Thread. But that's because Paul Thomas Anderson is always the best at that kind of execution. Did you um, get a so, chance to watch Phantom Thread? I've seen, I, I've watched, I had, okay. I, I watched most Thread. of it. Uh, what did you think of it? Oh my God. I was actually really, really shocked. Um, at, at, uh, it's kind of hard to describe without giving it away completely. But he's just a very difficult man who's set in his ways, and he falls in love with this woman, and he does this throughout his entire life. He falls in love with women and falls back out of But this one has found a way to make herself stick by poisoning him with mushrooms and making him sick and depend on her. And he gets to the point where he becomes codependent and wants to be poisoned by her. It is really, really odd and interesting and fascinating. Wow. See, so there's, that's what I'm saying, social commentary. You know, it's funny, that's the second yeah. movie this year I've heard with poisonous mushrooms. They also used it in a really film that was totally, totally snubbed for cinematography, which was The Beguiled. I, I thought The Beguiled oh, I was love going that to film. win. Yeah, get it. Yeah, I, I was going to get costumes and cinematography. And yeah. it's got nothing. So and, and, no. Really good. No. Once I saw Phantom Thread, I knew that was really being costume in a heartbeat. If you saw the yeah. if you saw the original, you see the um the way that uh you know the screenplay was sort of updated and changed to fit the director's vision. I think it could have been it was a great uh example of directing of auteur directing and writing. I think it should have been nominated in a few categories. Yeah. Um, but we talked about snubs last time, but that definitely I still think okay. that it should have been in those categories. I think that um, I was saying that um, the, I think Three Billboards, 
was not particularly subtle. I think it pushed me out of my comfort zone, and I think it, I like that it was provocative. And I think the post for me was most camera-inducing, most like I knew what it was trying to say. It was very obvious what it was trying to say for me. And I think Spielberg's been a little bit like that lately where you know his message going into it and you know what to expect. Well, The Post and Darkest Hour were clearly the most Oscar Beatty films on this list. The Post. And that was the other one I didn't you know, see. You know, yeah, uh, The Darkest Hour, though, uh, did exactly what we thought it was going to do. And not that that's oh. a bad thing. It, gave, it got two awards, and it got an award for makeup, which we all knew yeah. that was going to happen because behind that makeup was a performance of a lifetime from Gary Oldman. Uh, yeah. So Gary Oldman finally wins his Oscar. Uh, hooray, 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 we love, you know, and ultimately it's not really for this role, it's for his career. It's an overdue yeah. I really, for his I really career. like movies about history, but The Darkest Hour could not hold my attention for shit. I mean, it was so huh. boring. And the performance wasn't even all that. I mean, it. they like biographical, like, performances yeah. about real people, which is the reason why he was going to get it, but... I still say Daniel Day-Lewis deserved it. His performance was far more nuanced and way better. I think giving an Oscar to to Daniel Day-Lewis for a fourth time would be overkill, but I I think that I mean I actually just made a list. Like I think that um, that that Dan, that um I do think Gary Oldman was the best performance in the of the year, but it gives me no joy to say that. It's like saying the sun is the brightest object in the sky. Like obviously he had the highest level of difficulty, and he's very, he's always that level of acting. I, Daniel Day-Lewis is the same thing. It's not like a delight, like seeing Woody Harrelson or Sam Rockwell really do something unexpected. Well, no, I and, knew and once Rockwell again, it, it, it was amazing. It, well, and Gary Oldman, once again, it's really for his career overall. Yeah, and exactly. Same with Sam, Rockwell, same with Sam Rockwell's win, but, you know, yeah. but everyone knew that, that Billboards was going to win the um, acting awards. Acting uh, awards. Last episode, we were just and, talking and about. And supporting. Um, yeah, we were just talking were, last episode how Sam Rockwell can do no wrong. I mean, he's yeah. just yeah. good in everything. I think it's mm-hmm. him and Michael Shannon, right? The only thing I'm Michael disappointed Shannon, about yeah. is I wanted to see him dance for his Oscar, goddammit. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. I've ever been impressed with Sam Rockwell before. Four? I don't know if I've never seen the right movies. I've seen them in the two. I've seen them in Frost Nixon. I've seen them in a few things. I mean, I don't know if he's actually in Galaxy Quest. What's the What's the Sam Rockwell movie you're supposed to see? I've seen. I've even seen Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. What's the Sam Rockwell movie you need to see to know that he's brilliant before this movie? It was only this Moon. movie that made me a fan of him. Moon. The movie is called. Yeah, Moon. I was going to say okay. the science fiction movie Moon. Okay, yeah, Moon. Um, uh, what year is although he was also pretty remember. spectacular in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. He was and there's a really in opinion. Sweet. Yeah. yeah, that was a silly, fun thing that was notable for two yeah. things. His performance and the directing, which was just a big, wet smack on the lips to 70s cinema. Interesting. Uh, uh, Oren, uh, Moon yes. is 2000. Moon is 2009. It's directed by Duncan Jones. And then there's um, and uh, there's one other film I'm going to look up. I want you to go watch also, which is a romantic comedy. Way, way back. Actually really fucked. Way, way back. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Erin Marie. 
I don't have to look it up. I knew Watch exactly which one you were going for. Come, <laughs> both those, that, that will show you both ends of, of his spectrum of what he can do. Um, and, and come back to us and let us know what you feel about Rockwell after that. Okay? Can I um, also interject some thoughts on Darkest Hour going back to that film? Yeah, um, of course. I, yeah, go ahead. I had, I had pretty low expectations going in because I do agree that the Oscar tends to gravitate towards biopics and it tends to gravitate towards portraits of uh, upper-class British history. They, they rarely want to talk about, you know, darker chapters or lesser or, or less visible populations in Great Britain. Um, but I think, and there's, and Churchill has been so overdone, but I think if you're going to make a Winston Churchill movie, that was a pretty solid balance of, you know, lighthearted moments. And, you know, I think the decision to put the Lily James character really humanized it. And I also think it was beautifully shot, just the sense of, I think it absolutely earned its art direction and cinematography nominations. I mean, it's, it, it is it is Oscar bait. I mean, it, it's well crafted. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing. There's no doubt about that. And none of these films suck. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. None of these. That, and that's actually a good thing this year. That none of these films suck. Most of them are okay. At least there's something in it for everyone. And you know, and Darkest Hour is really is an act piece. It's a different style of direction. Uh, not particularly exciting to me. I've never really liked the biopic formula, you know, it, it, it just feels the same after a while. And no matter what you're watching, especially when they do a musician, I don't know how many times the musician ones feel repetitive and it's not the same, you know, uh, anyway, we'll go on that another they, episode. I think they operate on fan love of music. So like if you're a fan of like, you know, David Bowie, you're going to watch that, you know, biopic or, you know, the, the door. Walk the line, blah blah. Yeah, blah, blah. If, if you're a Johnny Cash fan, you're gonna get hooked. Yeah, well, sort of. I am a Johnny Cash fan, and I thought Walk the Line was eh. same with the Ray Charles movie. Eh. You know, I I, I could keep mm. going on what movies are all. Eh. There's a few exceptions. One would be Twenty Four Hour Party People, which I think is a phenomenal movie. Oh, uh, great and, movie. And yeah, and then it's be, be cut. And it's Cousin, which is a biopic on the lead singer of the guy who um, control, the guy who killed himself from uh, mm-hmm. Joy Division. Um, both those films, which are the similar, same subject, uh, actually, which is kind of cool. But both those movies are excellent, and they break the mold. <laughs> so, uh, you know, here's movies that don't win Oscars that are better than most of these Oscar movies, actually. Hey, um, not even Straight out of so, Compton. Well, Straight out of Compton, I, I yeah. What about the ultimate, uh, the, uh, well, I guess the, uh, I do feel like they broke the mold a little bit with Amadeus. If you go outside of the standard rock and roll, like, uh, Forrest Whitaker and Bird or Amadeus, then I think you can get some interesting results. Because I think there's a lot of really cool stories that go, like, a century back or so. (laughs) There was a good one about Ian Block. Uh, I'm sorry, Ian Dury. Um, uh, Ian Dury and the Blockheads. Uh, I think it was called Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. And that was pretty well done. I have a fun Oscar fact for you. I mean, I don't know if that's fun, but concerning uh, the actors, uh, which um, which actor has never been in a, which of the four best winner actors has never been in a, has, been, has never been in a Best Picture nominee before? Which of the, of the main actors? 
uh, the four winning actors. Who's who's been in the most and who's been in the least uh, previous Best Picture movies? I would say Frances would, McDormand. Frances McDormand. Yeah, has been on the most because she's been nominated for Best Pictures and she's also has a several acting nominations, as many almost as many as Meryl Streep at this point. As um, far back as Fargo in the nineties. Yeah. So I would well, have I to say into- it's Margot Robbie. That's my guess. Is Margot no, Robbie, no. Oh, we're talking about Best Picture nominees. Oh, we're talking about the oh, twenty. No. The oh, I was thinking the four. Margot Robbie has been in one other Best Picture nominee, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I she normally keep track of this thing a lot. Squad, so and she was in. Um, Wolf of Wall Street. Well, she was well, yeah. actually, She was in a winner. Suicide Squad won, remember? Remember, Aaron? Remember when Aaron? Remember no, when Suicide Squad won makeup? Remember? remember? Oh, wow. Remember? Just sucks, but yeah, <laughs> I remember. You remember. Oh, yeah, I remember that, too. Uh, but actually, let's go back to biopics for a second, guys, because um, yeah, we, have been, we left one. We, we, we do want to talk about one more actor. We've left one out, and that would be I, Tanya, and Allison Janine winning for Best Supporting Actress. So first of all, yeah. once again, I don't think it's a win for her in this particular performance. I think it's a win overall because all of us geeks love, love, love Alice and Jenny. Who doesn't mm-hmm. love fucking Alice and Jenny? We all are rooting her on just because she got nominated. I mean, she's wonderful. Not after I saw Lady Bird. After I saw Lady Bird, I really wanted Lori Metcalf. I thought her performance was fantastic. Lori Metcalf is fucking scary in fucking Ladybird. I can't even sit through that movie. It it makes me look at my future. I'm like, that's me. That's me and my daughter. Oh my god. I can't watch this movie. I can't watch Ladybird. I can't. I try. But see, like, I no. remember going through that with my own mother and now I'm going through it with my teenage daughter. So I whole <laughs> ah! spectrum. Queenie, you know that Ladybird had a lot of feels. Queenie, you know how what? you hate pregnancy? What? You know how you hate pregnancy? Yeah. Okay. I, I hate the act of giving birth. Girls. Okay, yes. You hate the act of giving birth. That's how I feel about teenage girls. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow, dude. <laughs> oh, that's what Lady Bird is like. That's what that movie is like. It's like giving birth for two hours. Holy cow. Oh, God. I ain't watching that movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I, I agree with you for, if we want to steer the conversation back to the question. Yeah, I think it is Allison Janey. Uh, I think it was, I think it more has to do with her career. Um, I'm not a fan of the performance, as I said before, but I'm a fan of the movie, and I do think it's going to help the movie a lot, because I know in my viewing habits, I've seen a lot of films like Shampoo or like Being There, just because it said on the, you know, best Oscar, best supporting actor winning performance, you know. Um, so I think it's going to help the film have a shelf life because it won an Oscar in a major category. I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. It's a, yeah, it's a solid film. I, 
I'm excited for it. I've been trying to catch I, Tanya, and it just, I can't sync up because it moves theaters, and it barely played, and I really, really want to see this movie. It, it drives me nuts. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's the one movie good. in the best picture list I want to see the most. Uh, well, but it's right up my alley. I really like how they did the skating. I, I thought they did a pretty good job on that one. Plus, Alice and Janie was really scary as mom. <laughs> we, well, we already knew she had that in her. We've seen her play the scary mom in a couple other films, and we know she can flip that switch. So, you know, we like, I'm really happy for her. She's so awesome. And if someone's trying to listen to the show at the same time, because I keep hearing, like, a, a background. Turn down. It sounds Turn down like radio. her echo, though. It's it just sounds me like better. Phone. I'm not listening to anything, I promise. <laughs> Weird. Well, okay. wherever it was. Uh, well, you know what? We're doing so good on the sound. You notice my music was behaving in everything today. And now, you know, so <laughs> here we go. You know, and now it's going to start to have problems. Maybe I should put the music on just because, you know, here's a, a soundtrack that was snubbed. Get Out soundtrack was my favorite soundtrack of the year. I actually loved, loved, loved that soundtrack. It was so original, so good. And shout outs once again with with sound checks to other films if you listen closely. Uh, Really awesome. So anyway, let's move on now. We got more to talk about. Let's talk about the Dell Factory. Are we ready for Oh, we're, we'll get to that score. I haven't gotten there yet. I've got notes. So, um, animated feature. I wanted to talk about that because we want to talk about the duh categories. There's two of them. Animated mm-hmm. feature and best song, which went to the same movie. Coco. Picture yeah. of Coco. Um, yeah. Uh, Remember Me, and then you had uh, Best Animated Feature. Honestly, there's this, there was no competition in either category for those songs, even though well, I don't really like I Remember Me that much. I think uh, Call Me By Your Name was picking up steam, and I when I checked on the, um, I did like predictions, and I think This Is Me was the favorite one. So I think it was pretty close. What? What, the music, the yeah, music this is, is me is exactly it. I mean, that was like everybody on my Facebook feed was like complaining that Coco got yeah. that song because me was such a better song. I don't know. If you go by the performances on the Oscar telecast, I would agree with you. Uh, this yeah. is me was a better performance than Coco was, although uh, I really like the choreography and the staging for Coco. But if you go by the songs in the movies, I would still give it to Coco, I think. What about Call I Me think, By Your Name? I, I, I do I like that guy, Fishbin. Yeah, the, the one for Call Me By Your Name, uh, it was really good. I would say it would be my close second, but ultimately Coco in context is really the song of the year. Not that I'm like a huge fan of it. It's good. Uh, I actually think that the the song of the year should have been Redbone by Childish Gambino, and I'm still annoyed it wasn't nominated because (laughs) it almost won the Grammy for best song. 
you yeah. know, but you know, once again, the get out soundtrack and, and score, uh, you know, people miss that. Like they miss the score, how good it was. Uh, you know, a lot yeah. of us were taken aback how good it was. Uh, so, uh, but there really wasn't any competition for Coco in, in animated uh, feature. Um, there was yeah, no. uh, one that the the breadwinner, which is a follow up to the book of cows, or is it the secret of cows, and the song of the sea, which were previous nominees, uh, was the only other chance of winning. Loving Vincent's actually really good too, but uh, the breadwinner would have been the only other one that could even have had a chance against Coco. Uh, You're not a boss baby no, fan. My daughter really <laughs> likes that movie, and honestly, it's bearable. It's definitely easier to watch than the damn Emoji movie, uh, you know. So, hey, uh, hey, the uh, Emoji movie is why Jordan Peele quit acting and focused on the writing and the directing. So you have to give it up. Can you explain Jordan Peele, on that story? Jordan Peele was offered the role of uh, the shit Emoji, and he said, yeah, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I think he'll be back. Um, I mean, he, <laughs> I he was, so. in, he really was on like he was on a guest spot on some TV stuff last year. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I think that with the best song, I'm really tired of like it going to the best cartoon of the year. I mean, I think Frozen. I, I, I agree. My, actually, with that. Yeah. So I was I was against Coco on that basis. I was actually. Most of the people in, at the at my Oscar party were saying, "Oh, the people in Flickr let us let it go on us." Oh, enough of them. And you know they're already egot. <laughs> they don't deserve any more. Yeah, now they oh, double egot. Kid. Uh, but you know what? I love Robert Lopez so much, and I adore him, and I adore his music, and you know, it's just I I it's can't be beautiful, and the, the guy. film wouldn't be what it is without that song. He that ties everything the together. Book of fucking Mormon. The Book of Mormon <laughs> is one of the best written musicals of all time. And it won't be on my list on the next episode because it doesn't count because there's not a movie adaptation of it. But yes, if I could say that my favorite musical right now of all time is The Book of Mormon and Robert Lopez helped write that. So, you know, I, I can't really begrudge him another Oscar. I love him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it's so cute. Did you see the, if you go to the slideshow that I, I created for the episode, there's a picture of him kissing his wife, and it's so cute. Oh, my God. And they're holding their Oscars, Aww. and they're clinking them. It's like, oh, they're so awesome together. How is that nice that, like, like there was a bunch of married couples nominated this year. That was one of the things I think people missed is that there were married couples nominated for Oscars. You know, the guys yeah, that were really short were married. Yes, they were nominated for the screenplay, which Big Sit, honestly, if the Big Sit had upset Get Out and had a adapted screenplay, I would have done cartwheels because it's yeah, so good. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, um, I think my favorite so, unknown... My favorite unknown short nominee is, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Josh Lawson. He was in the campaign, Anchorman 2. I followed him since he was a comedian in Australia. Uh, he was also he was also on the TV show House of Lies with Don Cheadle. He got nominated in the short oh, yeah. category for a very funny film, actually. <laughs> it was like, it's called The 11th Hour. I, I, was so, I, just, I didn't know, but I saw him at the Academy Awards luncheon, and I was like, that's Josh Lawson? He was nominated this year, so good for him. 
I love the short category. I wish I had a chance to go see them uh, this year. The archives usually shows the showcase. I'm not sure they did this year. I hadn't heard a thing about it. Um, so I didn't get a chance to see the shorts this year, which bugged Amazon me out. Amazon and I did... Hulu showed a few. Yeah, they, they played nearby, but I couldn't go. Uh, I did catch some of the documentaries and was able to correctly predict that Icarus would win Best Documentary Feature, and it did. Yep. Uh, um, yep. it, it's a pretty good movie. It's timely. That's why I knew it would win, because it's about Russia and the Olympics and all that kind of stuff. So yep. And I the knew director that kind would... of put his ass on the line for it, which the Academy always loves that kind of thing. Yeah, so so uh, so it was it, yeah it was definitely it was kind of a baity movie. Uh, once again, it's usually the best documentary. Doesn't usually, except for Taxi to the Dark Side that year, they nailed it. Uh, but usually, it's to the second best movie on the list, which that's always what I feel about it. Like you know, it's always this, like my choice never wins, but I always know which one's going to win. Does that make any sense? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah. the same so, way. Yeah, anyway. Well, do you pick your movies yeah. based on what you want to see? Because if I ever enter an Oscar pool, I normally just pick within reason what I want, and that way I'm doubly happy if the thing that I want wins. So, you know, like I pick, I did no. pick or I think three. Oh, I've been watching, I've been watching the Oscars faithfully ever since 87, and I know exactly what will win and what won't win just based no, on you what know what? No, usually I, I, on. I'm a bit more selective nowadays because with my daughter, I can't always watch what I want to watch. I'll be admit, I'll admit to that. But at the same time, no, I, I've always been, the way I watch movies isn't about content. Uh, it's not what you tell, it's how you tell it. Um, so that's why I don't really commit to many genres. The only genre that I really do commit to are horror, you know, horror, science fiction, fantasy, Western. I'm definitely a genre geek, but I like all types of movies with the exception of maybe romantic comedy. And occasionally one of those comes across. And if it makes moves me like the big six did, which Aaron Marie can vouch, I fucking yeah. cried <laughs> at the end of that movie. We both I actually did. was one of, I totally cried when I when I, I knew I I knew it was pretty semi autobiographical, but then to mm-hmm. see them together at the end of that film, like the two real, and then they were on the car- red carpet together, and uh, once again they were talking on stage, and they're so cute together, right? Like that story, yeah. and, and and the and the presenters, and um, uh, and he gave uh, Kum- that's Kumal Najani, uh, he's the writer, right? Is that did I yep. say his name yeah. right? Oh, sort of. Kamel Mangiani, <laughs> co-writer, yeah, with his wife. Yeah, yeah, but I wanted to talk about him in particular because he said my favorite, one of my favorite quotes of the night, and it was this: "Some of my favorite movies are by white straight dudes. Now, white straight dudes can watch movies starring me and relate to that. It's not that hard. I've done it my whole life." <laughs> oh yeah, I did see. I loved his line love too about do the right thing to get rich. Don't do it because it's don't do it because the right thing. It is the right thing, but do it to get rich. And you know, <laughs> with, uh, Black Panther crossing the billion dollar mark, he's he's absolutely fucking right. <laughs> you know what's interesting about Emily it's- V. Gordon was 
she was a psychology student just as she uh just as happened in the big sick. It's based in real life, but she actually within the span of writing the big sick and the big sick out, she actually got hired to be a staff writer for the HBO crashing. So now she's actually enjoying a pretty healthy writing career. I don't know if anyone has seen the Pete Holmes show, but it's very good. And she's one of only a very handful of writers on staff. So that's why I want to bring it back to Frances McDormand for a minute, leading into that and her speech, because that's a good time to bring that up. Uh, And she's talking about women and inclusion. And there's two things she did that matter um, in that speech. One is she mentioned inclusion writers, which is a solution. It's nice. Mm-hmm. A lot of people point out issues. Me too. But not a lot of people say, hey, I have an idea. Here's a solution. <laughs> and she went up there and said, inclusion writers. What inclusion writer? Okay. And I know Aaron, understand, Aaron Kogan understands what an inclusion writer is. And I had to kind of reread up on them too today. But a, an A-list star can put anything in their contract. I mean, anything. I know people that have had to take care of A-list stars and in their contract will say something like, oh, action figure made by blah, 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 put on my desk three inches to the right and facing backwards. (laughs) It will actually say that. And the reason they do that is because they want to make sure people are actually reading their contract. Okay? Uh That's one of the reasons why they do that. It's very important. Now, so they can put anything they want. An inclusion writer means that, and that's what an inclusion writer is. It means they include something. You must do this to get this. I will do this if you do that. So they, you can say, um, I want 20% of the jobs on set to go to minority contracts. You can actually, as an A-lister, do that. So that's what she's saying. She was giving a solution. And I think that's important to think about. Sometimes there's answers out there. There are answers yeah. or stuff you can do now. So there's a, there's a possibility. So that was one. The other one was when she tried to get everyone to stand up, and then she tells Meryl, if you get up, everybody else will get up, right? And then, you know, <laughs> yeah. in a room full of nominees, like like 15 rows of nominees, was anybody really, really shocked? Like, really, it kind of, like, kind of put a period on it. Like, how, like there were so few women out there. Yeah. Right? It actually yeah, stood up in those rooms. Were, and again, she had a solution. Again, she said, solid, yeah, it's a solid standing up now, not tonight, but in the next couple of days, you come to our in offices Titus or have us office. be yours. That, that's a solution. Yeah, yeah don't come yeah, to the, par- right right the party. She's practical. You know that the uh, inclusive writer has only been... It's only been in existence for. Did you read the article about the person who created the inclusion writer? I think the concept's only been in existence for a year or so. Well, yeah, this version and... of it, there's always been there's always been versions of this, but the ones that they're talking about now with inclusion, yeah. as in like you know minority inclusion, that's what this is. You know, there's always yeah, a writer. I'm, on I'm for us. I'm critical of. I'm critical sometimes of uh, of that that kind of issue, but I'm for the inclusion writer. It sounds like a win-win solution for everyone. You know um, what? It's it's yeah. all about negotiation and compromise, and you know it's and you know what they'll solve it if they really want to. That's how I feel about and it. And it doesn't have to be just up to the A-listers. We can also you know look to the directors and the producers to step up and make it part of their writer that the the casting and the crew are more inclusive. 
I actually, um, I actually had a hunch that Francis McDormand was going to win the boat because I thought that throughout this season that she's been prone to short speeches and has been not wanting to stay on stage very long. I thought she was going to go for the boat. <laughs> That's what we said. But she instead went the other direction. It was a pretty good speech, I think. <laughs> I it was good enough. It wasn't my favorite speech of the night at all, but it was good. I enjoyed it. I mean, it, I was glad to see. She was all excited. You get really, really excited when you're on stage getting your Oscar or you go blank. It's one of those two things. I do want to say uh, my favorite thing outside of um, the, the quote from Camille uh, was, uh, was in, in um, Sam Rockwell's speech. He actually dedicated his uh, Oscar to Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I thought that yeah. was really touching. You know, yeah. I, I got really sad. Yeah, I did too. We didn't know yeah, who so, Phil was at first. I thought it was Bill or something, or yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah he said Bill Hoffman, and I went no, all, and my sister was like, "Who's that?" And I was like, "Philip Seymour Hoffman." She was like, "Oh." <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't recognize him without the full three names. He actually said, for my old buddy Hoff, I have it written down, for my old buddy Hoff is what he said. So, you know, some people missed it, but I caught it. Other people caught it, and I was like, oh, no, this is yeah, that cool. Yeah, he said like two times. Yeah. Actually, one so. of the more touching stories of the night to me was, or one of the more, I thought one of the cooler stories is that um, Alice and Janie's part was uh, written specifically by the screenwriter. Who didn't get nominated, and she was able. She took him as her Oscar date, and uh, he has been trying to write her apart for a decade now, and they've been good friends. And this is the fu- the first time they've actually been able to collaborate. And I thought it was pretty cool because I think I Tanya really is kind of a snub. Yeah. Oh, that, that's so sweet of her that she brought a writer that got her there. That's that's great because you know it, it makes me. Makes me warm and fuzzy because you know, oh my god that is so I'm I'm sorry I have to clamp it on that one because as a writer yeah and that, I bet you that meant so much to her him like that so um, oh I, one more thing I wanted to we we well ten seventeen so we got a little bit more time but we should start moving a little bit faster so we can get to our Monster Mania preview uh, but I did want to say there was another Duh Award and it was costume design which un- usually I will be honest with you usually a, a movie like Victoria and Abdul would be the winner the period piece always fucking wins right. costume design not this what year because year? Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread won oh. because of its because sub- uh, of its subject matter. So I mean, it was a Versace movie. So you know, so it, it was a modern. <laughs> it is still a period piece, but it's a more modern period piece. So I actually think it's a great win in the costume category. It beat out Darkest Hour. I honestly, I know Aaron. We already talked about this, but I don't think that the Beauty and the Beast costumes are all that. Um, you know, uh, and Victoria and Abdul would win normally, but this year it went to fan thread. So that was really nice, I thought. Beauty and the Beast um, would be cool only because it kind of would, I think that, I think it takes imagination to take a cartoon and set it to, you know, a live action, as well as kind of a lot of people are doing it on YouTube too, you know, all these, you know. I think you could oh, it. I, it could, I agree with you. I, I just didn't yeah. like Beauty and the Beast. Now, last year, last year Cinderella was nominated, and I was mm. flipping happy that happened because I thought yeah. Cinderella had some fantastic costumes. 
So no, Boy, I, I, I'm not dismissive of the fantasy uh, period get up at all. I absolutely adore it. I just didn't think that they. I I, I really wish the Beauty and the Beast went, was. Anyway, I already. You can go back and more original, less episode. trying to imitate. The yeah, cartoon. if you go to the. If, if you go to the hunt, the the Sentai episode where we reviewed Power Rangers, we do uh, Aaron Kogan and I do a review of Beauty and the Beast. There, you can listen to that episode. It's pretty fun. So uh, you know that was our uh, Sentai episode. I really love big monsters and big robots. Anyway, all right. So where are we? Okay. Oh, okay. So here's one of my least favorite wins of the night, and I'm actually annoyed because at least two of these films have better editing. Um, film editing went to Dunkirk, right? Yeah. Which is un- which is uninspired because considering that fucking Baby Driver is in the same category, and yeah. Baby Driver I, uh, was the best edited film of 2018. Um, you know, and the movie is a dance. It's a music, and and I Tanya is cut really well. So, you know, there's that, um, you know, uh, so at least two of the movies have more is are more interesting to watch than Dunkirk. But Dunkirk isn't bad. Once again, I don't want to diss on a Christopher Nolan film. I found like an asshole. I mean, Chris, it's fucking Christopher Nolan. He's like, but up it's there with a war movie. And they are, it's, yeah, but, those awards are so saturated with war movies that it just becomes redundant. Well, it's a World no, War II movie, too. Predictable anyway. But you could say exactly. yeah, it's more Christopher a Christopher Nolan movie than a war than a standard war movie. I feel like it was a, it was a I mean I feel like it's it's a nod to him. I thought Blade Runner should get it. I but I I guess I didn't see it, but I heard the editing was really amazing in Blade Runner too. Blade, Blade, Blade Runner, Runner, Runner. Yeah. Yeah. 2049 Blade Runner twenty forty nine is technically amazing. I I cannot say enough good things about it. It's just a gorgeous And it earned its win. It absolutely earned its wins, uh, you know, absolutely the wins did. in cinematography and visual effects. I still yep. wish that in some ways that Star Wars had upset it. I really, really wanted that to happen. Because <laughs> I, I, once again, I have a real soft spot for Last Jedi. I was listening to John Williams' score, which also lost to Shape of Water. Uh, here's something about score. Let's go ahead and talk oh, about that. Oh, I'm about that. Talk about um, that. Talk to... Yeah, let's oh, talk about, about score. score because... category. Because I love that. I yeah. love that win, actually. Well, here's the thing. I am not a huge fan of Alexander Display. I think his movies, his oh. music is okay, good, solid, okay. I really did not like his win for Atonement. I didn't think Atonement was very good at all. I was annoyed the whole time. I thought the music was distracting. Uh, but but I I was like... Deep down inside, there was a, a piece of me that was like, give it to John Williams. Give it to John Williams. Because honestly, listen to The Last Jedi's score again. It is so mm. good. So good. It is the best is it, score he's done in years. It doesn't matter. Right. I knew The Shape of Water was going to win for score because of how much was said through the music. It's such a movie based in silence well, that the score is so much more important. Well, I and they agree. used the glass uh, harmonica, didn't they? I use a glass harmonica to play some of the pieces, which is one of my favorite instruments 
It's a it's 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 a round it's a it's an oval shaped with all these glass pieces that spins in a circle and you play it kind of like a piano and that's the sound mm. you're hearing on the score. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty. Sh- it, 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 there's only one or two people in the world that can play one of those things. <laughs> you know. So. Uh, it, it, uh, and one of them's in Williamsburg, Virginia, not too far from here. Are you referring to Jamie Turner, the guy in the old, the guy in old town Alexandria, Jamie Turner? Is, I'm not. Like, no, I wonder if we're no. talking about the same glass harmonica player. No, it might not be um, the same guy. There is, I think, there's one up here too. But the guy I'm thinking of, he's um, he's down in uh, Williamsburg. He's on. He's a permanent resident down there, and he plays all the time. He also plays the glass violin. I got to hear him break in his glass violin. That was actually pretty impressive. Uh, so um, he, he uh, I don't know who did the actual score to Shape of Water when it comes to who's playing the glass pieces in that, but. Um, I really love that instrument. Made it sound like that. Yeah, well, it was, you know, who invented the glass harmonica? I believe it's Benjamin I it. Franklin. That's correct, sir. Give him a clap. Uh-huh. Woo! Good job. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, so okay, I really wish that... musical instruments for a thousand, Alex. <laughs> it's not a bad win. I, I just kind of wish for an upset once again, but Safer Water got it. That's fine. Alexander has now what two or three of them up on his sh- on his shelf. He'll just yeah. he'll use it to hold up his books or something. <laughs> you know, all, okay. For me, it's one of the few times where I think I I really felt like the score. I think I don't know if Arrival won last year, but I think Arrival and Safer Water are one of the few times where I think the score really enhanced the storytelling. You know, I, I, I finally saw the arrival. Film. It's extremely important to the, to the storytelling itself mm-hmm. of how much of the movie's done in silence. Well, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I, it, that's true. Um, now, was the Star quick, Wars? Um, Go ahead. All right, I'll ask. Uh, was this, was Star Wars significantly different than was Star Wars Last Jedi significantly different than your average Star Wars movie? I mean, did you recycle a lot of the same themes? Oh, well, he absolutely yeah, did revisit those themes, but he he in exactly re- the right he spot. Into them and the, the only because that was kind I, of the whole theme of the movie, right? Yeah, it was uh, I mean, amazing because it it, it it sound checked the original score exactly when it needed to. There was a couple of moments that were just like usually had to do with Luke Skywalker. Um, his theme runs through most of it, and uh, but. Uh, it really is sophisticated. The last time I heard him do a score like this was uh, Harry Potter 3, The Prisoner of Azkaban, where he really took the themes that he owned. And at this point, nobody knows those themes better than John Williams, right? He really was <laughs> able to take it and push it and make it into the larger story of, 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 of what's happening now as the story progresses. And, you know, that he's able to do that with music is pretty fabulous. You know, he's like, we have this body of work where if we didn't even have the movies, we'd have the music could tell this story over our lifetime and we could understand it. You know, it's kind of cool. Mm. That's why I wanted him to win. But it's okay. John Williams has he plenty has of about beats. 16 options, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, he really doesn't need any more. That's the other thing. I mean. <laughs> but Alexander Despot doesn't either. He's got plenty of them also, you know. Of course, you know, everyone's in the Did he do a rival? I think he did. did. One to... 
Yeah, and they, they give him, they give Trent Reznor one every once in a while just to mix things up a bit, you know. But, you know, it's a, you know. Oh man, I like Trent's score. They do a lot of, they do a lot of <laughs> weird. I'm gonna, I'm just looking it up on Wikipedia, right? Or actually, I am the the Oscars itself has a good debate database, but uh, they do often just give it to the Best Picture nominee, like Finding Neverland or Atonement, and I don't remember the scores of those films. Um, they gave it to Enrico Moroni for The Hateful Eight in 2015. That was pretty original. Um, Grand Budapest Hotel. Wait, wait, for what film? For Hateful Eight? Uh, Enrico Moroni, Hateful Eight won Best Score in 2015. Last... Yeah, he actually recycled a yeah, lot of old themes from other films. La La Land, uh, Arrival wasn't even nominated, and that was one of my favorite scores. Then it was Grand Budapest Hotel, then Stephen Price for Gravity, Michael Diana for Life of Pi, The Artist, uh, Trent Renzer for Social Network, which was a really good win. Up, Slumdog Millionaire. I enjoy the Gravity score. The Gravity score is a straight, uh, good old-fashioned horror score if you listen to it without the movie. It's fabulous. I agree uh, with that, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, well, that's it pretty much. We've talked, is there any other categories in, uh, I, uh, that we haven't really – I think we've covered everything. I mean, of course, we know that – you know, Gail Toro won his director's award. He's got two now, you know, woo, woo, woo. Mm-hmm. they're all happy. Oh, and and we also forgot to mention Call Me By My Name did get one win, and that was for the It screenplay uh, win, which was kind of a consolation prize for not winning Best Picture. But it did have a really mm-hmm. good progress. No, I think it was, hmm? well, it was a weak, it was a weak, very weak category with most of the Best Picture nominees and runners-up finding their way to the original. I, it was clearly the best of the lot, though. It was, I think, the only one that had any sort of consensus. I, I, I would, I would agree with you on this list that probably that was the best fil- overall film of them. Though I was really psyched once again that Logan got a nomination, just because I was the too. second time yeah. I cried, I cried this year, last year <laughs> was Logan, The Big Sick it's and Logan, which I kind of watched it's really a... close to each other. Yeah, I mean, it is the first of its kind to see a superhero film. It's I think that a lot of people were thrilled with that one too. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, so that's good. But, uh, so, uh, now as the, there's a few things I do want to go over. Let's see. Uh, first of all, I wanted to mention Michael Shannon again. Uh, it turns out Yay. that he watched the Oscars, uh, at the old town <laughs> alehouse in Chicago on mute. And that's how he watched the Oscars and everyone watched to watch the Oscars together. Cause Michael Shannon, I don't get to know. Do people actually approach him? Do people know? If he, I, I read the story, but was he smiling? Was he cheering? I, did, the story didn't tell me that. I wanted to know that those details. Was he approachable to fans? Was he as, celebrating as with them? Some of it. Uh, some, they said he kind of kept his cool the whole time, but remember he's in director's mode right now. So he was probably just keeping it cool, but uh, you know, it's just kind of funny. There was, that was a funny thing and like became this like party with, in a party um every there was a lot of people on twitter and everyone said that the best live tweet feed was macaulay Culkin's. so go back and read macaulay Culkin's. Oh. everyone said it was hysterical was i in the top um, 10 or did i, I know did i, I get up so. there <laughs> um, <laughs> no no i don't think so um i did want to go back to call me by her name and the screenwriter james ivory who is, uh, you know, the ivory, oh my God, you know, this guy is like one of the most famous men on the earth. He's 89 years old, getting up there, room with the view. Oh my God. He's been nominated. Oh, so many times as a producer, as a writer, as a director. Um, He actually wore 
on stage under his uh, his suit, a hand-painted T-shirt of Timothy Chalamet, who is the actor nominee for Call Me By Your Name. Uh, and, and that shirt has gone viral. People really want to know where to get one. It was a huge hit, hmm. and um, it was actually tracked down, uh, Esquire track, and they found a guy named Andrew Mania on Instagram, and he sells that shirt. Uh, so you can get custom ordered if you liked it. So I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, so he was on even a lot of best dress work, uh, uh, best dress things. Um, now, I don't want to get into Jimmy yeah, Kimmel's performance too much. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, Timothy was not in just, I mean, he was nominated for Call Me By Your Name, but he was also in Lady Bird. And in both performances, he prematurely ejaculated. And I'm like, he's going to be known as the fastest man in cinema. <laughs> oh, nice. oh, poor kid. Oh, my God. Okay. Quick on the draw. It was also one of the youngest actors nominated ever. So James Aubrey is one of the oldest, and 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 uh, Chalamet was the uh, youngest, which I thought was really cool. So, on same movie. Uh, I wanted to say I'm not going to get into Jimmy Kimmel's performance. I thought it was fine. It was serviceable. Nothing major. Nothing bad. Yeah. However, yeah. everyone has to agree the fucking jet ski joke worked. Oh my god, yeah. is that shit funny? It worked yeah, so well. Yeah, the jet ski work was amazing, yeah. It worked amazing. The joke ran. All the people in the audience carried the joke through the fucking ceremony. Yep. Everyone made jokes about it. They actually gave it away to the costume designer winner, uh, one of those guys. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed uh, the theater awesome. scene, the, the going across the street to the theater. I felt like I felt too nervous on behalf of these people who were on national TV. When it was a whole theater, it was a little less pressure on anyone in the audience to be a performance piece, and it was more like the attention of just the whole crowd cheering. I thought that was a little cooler than last year. I wonder what people's opinions on are of the last year versus this year when you invited people into the theater versus when they went to a different I theater. I want to know, where can I get a hot dog guy? I, oh I my will, God! But I just want to know where I can get an army hammer. I will buy a hot dog. Yeah, now. was you army hammer shooting hot dogs a little bit too on the nose? Someone said that. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. No, no. I, I wish I wrote that. I didn't. No, but uh, I want to say I thought it was a mixed bag. I thought there was some really good moments about it and some bad. First of all, Oren and and Aaron can definitely tell you about this. If you're on Hollywood Boulevard and you're watching a screening. Walk-ons like that happen all the fucking time. It's just yeah. one of the things that happens. And so, so that that happened and that the audience dropped drop like that, they were fine. Because if you go to one of those screenings, <laughs> anything like that can happen. As a matter of fact, the Thor Ragnarok screening, which happened when Aaron was with me at Horror, Halloween Horror Nights, and I'm still feeling guilty about this this day, <laughs> the entire principal cast showed up. You know, so... <laughs> You know, that shit happens, you know, and, uh, you know, so, but Gal Gadot, I thought was so adorable on stage when she came out, like, she, she was the first one in there with Jimmy Kimmel, and she had that little, like, like, candy thing, and when they erupted, mm-hmm. she was like, oh, it's a candy, I was like, what is that, she was so awesome. So I thought. So I thought that worked. But like I said, the Army Hammer thing, maybe not. Uh, you know, it was all right. Mm. I think it was cool to have 
the meta-ness of watching each other through screens. I thought that was kind yeah, of freaky because we're, yeah. we're watching them, watching them, watching us, watching them, you know, and you know, <laughs> I thought that was, so that was kind of creepy, but I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, I wanted I to give that, a shout out to, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I guess the question of I, of whether he should host again, I think that Every any host would get a little bit predictable on the third outing, so it's good to mix it up. But I think he did. I'm really happy as a longtime fan that he was able to host a couple times and really hit it out of the park. No one disliked his performance last year, so I think he did great. Cool. Yeah, he's fine. Gig. I think they're gonna bring him on. He it's a tough gig. He does fine, and they're gonna invite him back. He's gonna do just fine. It'll be him or yeah. Ellen DeGeneres, one of the two, right? You know, so. Uh, I wanted to give shout-outs to my two sets of favorite presenters of the evening. Uh, one was Tiffany Haddish and Maya Rudolph. I thought they were so uh, funny on stage. Oh, my God. Tiffany Haddish could host, shoot. actually. Oh, my God. They They're were hysterical. They were great. The, the, I give them their own show. Yeah, the, the whole shoes thing, and oh, that was hysterical. Yeah. And, the, and they made a joke at Meryl Streep's expense, and then this other group, did it too. Jennifer Lawrence and Jodie Foster were amazing on stage together. So good. And oh, so funny. So good. Uh, what was up with what J-Law was wearing? Because that looked like something out of like the 80s like hair band video, right? Her and Sandra Bullock both kind of had this like 80s like, like all she needed was like a fan and her hair would go out and she would just I mean she looked amazing. Like she was like Amazing looking woman. I, I therefore, but I was just like the the, the 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 styles this year were very retro, especially the lots of gold this year. Did you see that? It was like a lot of gold. So you know, yeah. but I thought, but what was really funny about it wasn't that. It was that she was like in this gold dress, towering over Jodie Foster on crutches. Yeah, like like she just looked like this huge person compared to this little Jodie Foster. It was awesome, but Jodie Foster was a badass, total own, even on crutches, right? She's just like, yeah, I'm me, deal. Jodie Foster's uh, comment reminded me, oh, oh sorry, Aaron, were you going to say something? Go ahead. Jodie Foster's comment reminded me that you can always measure a host's ability by how well they make fun of Meryl Streep, because that's pretty much the cost is Meryl Streep's going to be at every mm-hmm. ceremony, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he has Nicholson being front and center all the time. He wasn't there this year. No, he hasn't been there for a couple of years. He wasn't there this year. No, he wasn't. Well, she was there, and he got a joke off. He said he was. She was uh, Jodie Foster said that she beat her up, and Meryl and Jimmy Kimmel said yeah. she was in prison for the two three years. She wasn't. Um, there were only three years. No, yeah, no, we're talking about Jack right. Nicholson. Oh, yeah, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson wasn't He there. used to be in the front yeah. row all the time, and yeah. I haven't seen him in several years. Well, Jack's so he's makes me worried for his health. So maybe we won't yeah, see him, He's going to be one of those surprise walk-ons. Just watch. That's when, you know, like you're like watching something, and all of a sudden oh, you come to Jack. That'll be I awesome. Love the, I loved the Rita Moreno wore the same dress she wore to the Oscars yes. when she won in and she was having so much fun and she was toasting everybody with champagne backstage 
Legion. She was just, <laughs> like, awesome. Rita Moreno knows how to still wow a crowd to this day. She's such a badass. Yep. So, yeah, I love yep. that, too. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I did want to say uh, – go ahead. I just seriously think Tiffany Haddish could actually host the thing if she gets a couple more gigs going. You're not alone. There are people. There's buzz online about it right now. Yeah. I, you know, she should do something because she's funny. She's straight up funny, and and that's good. We need more funny like that. Uh, speaking of funny, Aaron, you were funny. I loved your little comparison to Maya Rudolph's outfit to the outfit that Chewie <laughs> wears in the uh, – Star Wars holiday special. We I celebrate <laughs> a day of peace. A day oh, of hard oh. What the oh hell, man? God. What the anyway. hell, man? I, oh yeah, God, I, no. I love Maya Rudolph. She looked like she forgot to take her Snuggie oh. off. I was just like, exactly. did, did she wear a Snuggie on? She today? looks like she's oh. President Coin from the Hunger Games. That's what she looks like. <laughs> you know, it's like fucked up, man. Speaking of fucked up, oh. and this one's a sad one. This is the last, the only major criticism I would say of the award ceremony, because overall I thought it was really good in the end, was the in memoriam. Yes, you can't fit everybody in. I get that. Um, and yes, I even understand not putting Adam West there because he's mostly known for television. But they uh, omitted Toby Hooper, even though they did include Jude Forway and George A. a. Romero. And also, Eugene, uh, the guy that played with Godzilla, I was really pleased that those people were included. But they forgot Toby Hooper, who died in August. And they forgot Della Reese, who died in November. You know. And they I actually huh? went back, and I looked at last year's In Memoriam. And even though Bill Paxton died that same weekend, they didn't include him. So they forgot him so, twice. Oh, so Bill Paxton was completely snubbed. Yep. That's messed up. Did they also miss uh, John Hurt, or was he last year? John Hurt was last year. Because uh, uh, yeah, they had got so I watched that reel again. And he was in he was in this year's in memoriam. Um, yeah, it was really weird that Toby Hooper wasn't uh, mentioned in the in memoriams segment, especially because in one of their little clips about the glory of cinema and whatever, there was a clip. From the Texas Chainsaw yeah, Massacre. It was in the montage. It was in that long ass montage that came up in Act Two. It was it was You're a pretty have good to be montage more too. When you say long montage in Act Two, because that well, that you know, like half it, the show. But yes, we well, <laughs> know what I mean. There's there wasn't actually that many montages this year. They were keeping them down to a minimum. So uh, you know, that's, well with with. With each of the best supporting actor, actress, and all those categories, they did right. like the montages of all the previous winners. winners. Which they was, were a good but they were nice. I was sitting there trying to speed, like, say, uh, Meryl Streep, Kramer versus Kramer. I was just like <laughs> going through them. <laughs> I enjoyed those montages. They were very, they cut it together very well. Like, usually it's just like a second or something. They like had different lines and they interspersed it. No, it was kind of clever the way uh, the previous line uh, tied into the line that followed it. Yeah. Uh, as if the, the characters from the different characters, uh, the different actors from different movies were talking about the same thing or talking to each other. That was clever. Also, yeah, they didn't no, miss an Oscar-winning actress from uh, In Memoriam. They missed Dorothy Malone, who won for Ridden in the Wind, I think, was it? For, oh. So that was 
I yeah. have a feeling they probably just didn't do the research. They dropped the ball every year. You know, the, the interwebs, the way they all really, work. really rushed. The PCM did way better. You know, the Academy needs to say, here's the performers we're doing. Have we left anyone out? And the interwebs, I promise you, will let you know. I guarantee I know. you 110 There's a lot of us out here that will tell you. Trust me, we will tell you if you're wrong. Right? <laughs> Queenie, All right, Queenie, who am I talking to the Queenie Beast often pretends, you know, she, she, she actually fact-checks herself even. So, yeah, you seriously. Know, <laughs> I like to fact-check know, myself. Her, one character fact checks the other. So we do this to ourselves. Believe me, we can help you, Academy. So, no, oh, my God. Well, that's it. I, I'm done with my my Oscar talk. Any final thoughts, Oren, before we let you go for the night? No, it's just been a, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. Um, follow me on Twitter at OKON80WP. I'll post it on the link. And uh, I also do have a new blog, a post of the um, 25 best acting performances of the year. So, All right. So, Thanks so, so much, we'll, all three. I'll it's been a lot of fun. I'll try to post those on the web, uh, on the Facebook page sometime tomorrow if I have time. Thank you, Orin, for calling in. That was a wonderful after talk to Hexy Witches. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. That was very Woo-hoo. wonderful. Yeah. We really enjoyed it. So let's change subjects just a minute. We're not doing a full community calendar tonight, but we're going to do a quick preview, give them 15 minutes because, um, to Monster Mania 39 because Erin Marie is making a media convention appearance there. Uh-huh. And so let's, br- let's bring out the, the community calendar music for you. All right, Erin Marie. This is it. This is me. We're closing out the night. The lineup for Monster Mania is not absolutely bonkers. Um, I heard that the reason they're doing it is because they're intentionally trying to push out New Jersey Con, which was this past weekend. But I'm not going to complain at the caliber of guests they're getting at all, <laughs> even if they are being a little petty. Um, I mean, first and foremost, Tim Curry. Holy shit. I'm getting a photo op with Tim Curry. And that's like a dream. I'm, I'm going to be surprised if I don't just fall to my knees and start crying. Just like laugh. Just, oh, my God. I can't believe I'm meeting you. Um, hey, I cried oh, after meeting Clive Barker. Yeah, that's going to be me. Oh, you know, believe it or not, I cried after meeting Adrian Paul. So, <laughs> Highlander was like my huge thing in high school. <laughs> but um, Paul Rubens is actually going to be doing in costume as Julie Herman photo op. They have yeah. all six of the, of the, the Jason Voorhees that are living in costume. Um, for photo ops. They have Kathleen Turner, the voice of Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> I mean, she's freaking and she's iconic. And she's hosting a screening of Serial Mom. She's hosting a yes. screening of fucking Serial Mom. Nice. Oh, uh, oh my God. Wait. Anyway, keep going. I'm definitely Sorry. I'm just, 
Oh my God! There's just so much happening. <laughs> well, Randy Quaid, who I guess is allowed back in the United States now and is trying yeah. to pay off his fees. You've got to <laughs> find Randy out Quaid how that happens. Cousin Eddie's going to be there. John Carpenter, which is—I mean—he has three of my top five favorite movies. I fucking love John Carpenter. He's my favorite artist. And his panel is at 7 p.m. So definitely go see his panel. It's preceded with Serial Mom first, and then John Carpenter right after. So, um, oh, God, I hope that's Sandra Peterson. Right. She's going to be there again. Yep. Sandra Sean, Peterson. Sean, Ast- Sean Astin. Oh, my God, Sean Astin. I met a Goonie last time, too. Yeah. So it's oh, fitting yeah. that I meet another Goonie. <laughs> I've met Sean Astin um, before. He's awesome. Uh, a personal favorite may not be yours, but mine, the Kyoto Brothers, who directed the Killer Clowns from Outer Space, oh, are going to be there. <laughs> yeah, and they have a panel at 3 p.m. on Saturday. Um, oh, Kathleen yeah, Turner's at one o'clock on Saturday. Um, one o'clock on Saturday. Uh, of course, uh, regular and everyone's favorite, Queenie Tony Todd is going to be there. Ooh, I still have yet to yeah. meet Tony Todd. I got really sick at the Mysticon he was at. So, okay. yeah, definitely meeting Tony Todd. And, of course, don't forget, where is Kane Hodder? He's <laughs> with at the other five Jason <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm debating about giving you my doll, my NECA doll, because I know you'd guard it with your life and getting my last signature. But Absolutely. I really should wait and do I'd it. bring it home this really Saturday need- night. Well, but, you know, the truth is, though, I really should take it with the photo because I got photos with all the other guys. So maybe I'll wait anyway. I'll think about it. We can, we'll can we talk about it on Thursday. We'll talk about it on Thursday. She's going to stop at the house on the way through. So, um, and on the and way, on back, the way down. back, too. And on the way back, too. All of the um, chill, like, almost all of the kids from the new It, freaking Richard Dreyfus. I forgot Richard Dreyfus. And Joe Pantaleone. Oh, right. Yeah. And Alex right. Heaney. <laughs> Like, Ali I worshipped. I worshipped Ali Sheedy. Oh my God, did I worship Ali Sheedy? Like the Breakfast Club, her character. I was gonna. I actually like didn't get that part, and they made me sit the janitor, and I was devastated. Huh. Devastated. <laughs> didn't get that part. Oh my God. Oh, and Randy Quaid's gonna be there. Who's awesome, right? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's just. There's just like so many more. It's like it's a huge lineup, and that's just not even half of it. That's just that's just no. A-listers. There's something for everybody at Monster Mania this year. Uh, unfortunately, Tim Curry and John Carpenter are not having table ops uh, photographs. They are only no, 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 ops, no, right? No, no. no? Tim, Curry, no Tim Curry and Paul Rubin. Oh, Tim Curry and Paul Rubin. Tim Curry and Paul Rubin. Yeah, Rubin. Okay. Yeah, John Carpenter, I heard he sells his picture for like five or ten bucks. He just doesn't care. He's like, yeah, come take a picture. Oh, okay. Well, that's awesome. I I mean, it's John Carpenter. He's like, (laughs) I don't know. He's like that laid back cabby old man. I couldn't handle that. I think I would just fall apart. You know, you know how nervous I get when I get up to these people. You know, well, I, well, to- I mostly keep it together. I I tend to fall apart once I leave. There's only been two people I ever stammered and made an ass of myself in front of, and both of them were just because I found them extraordinarily attractive and have had crushes on them my whole life. So, <laughs> and 
That was Chris Sarandon and Julian Sands. <laughs> Those were the only two I ever fell apart in front of. Julian Sands? The Warlock? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Warlock. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. So it's going to be an well, awesome lineup with a great show. Um, I, I had just watched The Room with a View again, too, when I went saw Julian Sands. So all I could think of was, I've seen your penis. I've seen your penis. I've seen your penis. <laughs> <laughs> On the vendor's floor, we have the normal, uh, uh, the usual suspects that we love in the dear, the Joel Robinson and Vinegar Syndrome and Severn. And uh, all those London, people are going to be there, buy their shit, um, and go London see their, go check out their shit. my favorite. They've got my pens and T-shirts. That's uh, Christopher. Isn't that Christopher Ott's company? Yeah, the, the, the guy with the guy with the fangs is going to be there always. Uh, you know, and uh, oh, that's harsh, yeah, no, but yeah, he's going to be there. Uh, you know, uh, the vendor floor is always packed. It's very large. It's really big. Like, Monster Mania has, I think, the largest vendor floor I've been on. Uh, that being said, it was also the most crowded. Uh, I, so if you go on a Saturday, which obviously you want to go on a Saturday because everything's happening this Saturday. Saturday is just so choice. The panels are choice. Everything about it is great. Uh, you... Um, I would highly, and I'm saying this not to you, Erin, I'm kind of saying this to anybody who might be listening, Uber in, park outside the hotel and Uber in because it, you're not getting near that place. Last year I drove by it and the line was huge, and luckily Erin Marie had an off-site hotel, which she, I think she did this again, and so I was able to park there. And it was actually within a long walking distance or Uber. Yeah, Uber but it was a quick Uber so, ride. Yeah, not only that, that but so. um, in August, in August of last year, Monster Mania actually started doing um, for their guests uh, valet parking for free. So that has helped a lot. It, it, it gets really crowded there really fast, though. But of course, they said that year that was one of the busiest they ever had. I have a feeling they're going to still be just as busy because last year the draw was was the Stranger Things kids and. Um, John Cusack. This year it's Tim Curry and John Carpenter and Richard Dreyfus, uh, you know, and all the other people we just said. Kathleen Turner. I mean, this lineup is just, oh my God, it's huge. Like, like, I can't even, like, I think this is probably the best horror lineup I've seen so far this year. So, uh, and, and I would love to hear the Kyoto Brothers talk about um, their makeup, but oh, don't forget though. Also, Shawnee Vincent, uh, Vincent's gonna be there. Who's our new, like one of my favorite new screen queens. Um, she was the star of Your Next. She's gonna yeah. be there. She's she's really cool. She was a uh, badass and, in that movie. Yeah, it's a pretty good movie. I I don't love the movie, but she's really good in it. I think I, I, I actually like, like her a lot. You know? Oh, you do. Well, that's good. You can love it. Oh, love I it love all it. you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and. And like most of most uh, monster manias and, and horror conventions, there is sometimes a charity aspect to it. Uh, the food drive at Days of the Dead Atlanta did amazing this year. That was huge. Congratulations yep. to them on that. Uh, but monster mania the does the auction for Yorkies. Yep, they save Yorkies. 
Um, so they're just, they, their auction, celebrity auction is to save Yorkies. Uh, so little dogs get rescued when you go to Days of the Dead. I mean, uh, Monster Mania Aww. 39 in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. So uh, last year, Adam Green uh, gave a bunch of his own personal stuff from the Hatchet movies out because he's a, he, his favorite, he loves little dogs. He has uh, terriers. As a matter of fact, uh, Arwen, his dog, is actually a character on his show. If you listen to the movie Crip podcast, it's pretty funny. Uh, she's the Dr. Arwen. Uh, so, uh, you know, and so he, he, get, he, he was really proactive last year's Monster Mania, which, uh, of course, Aaron and I talked his ear off for quite a long time in person. Yeah. It was actually he really amazing. He definitely pushed the charity. He wanted to make sure everybody gave. Yeah, so that was cool. Uh, so, uh, so have a great time, Erin Marie, and make sure you take pictures, and we'll get a recap of it when we come back um, in two weeks. In two weeks is also actually Erin Marie. This is your month. March is March yes. for Erin Marie <laughs> because both of these episodes are devoted to you. One was the, the Oscars Monster Mania preview, which we just completed. Yay. And then next week, we are doing, next episode, we are doing the Sexy Witch Round Robin on our favorite movie musicals of all time. So I'm going to pop the rules down for what the Sexy Witch Round Robin is going to be like this year. I finally kind of nailed it down. I know what I'm going to do. Queenie, are you still with us, girl? Uh, Miss Queen. Yeah, I'm still ah, here. I see I'm, messing up your gen- I'm sorry, my genders. I work at a at a at a government office, <laughs> and gender roles are something are very strict because it's actually yeah, a, a, it's a, a, a greeting thing. It, it's a greeting yeah. thing. It's not really it, uh, so. Anyway, so I still slip them out. I do try not to, so I apologize. But anyway, don't worry I, about it. <laughs> I know you don't care, but I still try to be conscious of it. Well, I do um, care. Know. It's just that I'm not, you know, I don't want to be an asshole about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, I try. It, it may, I make an effort. I hope that helps. Though. You do, and, anyway, it, and I, I appreciate I, that. I only wanted to do one rule, and I think this is important because it, cause it, all of us would probably have it in our top five, and it's going to skew our list. I think we need to recuse Queenie Todd, uh, Sweeney Todd. I thought what? we were going to recuse Repo. We might have to recuse both, but I would say yeah. that I would lead off with Queenie talking about both of those musicals because <laughs> they would be on her top ten. Those would be one and two on your yes. list, I would believe. Right. So I, was, I would think it, we'll talk about them before the round robin and just get them out of the way and, and exercise them on our list. On the list. Because we all would have them on the list. I would have Sweeney for sure. And, yes. and uh, you know, and I know that Aaron Kogan probably would too. Uh, I know that yes. Sweeney would have Repo. And I'm pretty sure yes. Aaron Marie exactly. has Repo. Uh, exactly. So, Aaron you know. so if we just talk about those at the top, then we can focus on the, yeah. the lesser. Get those out of the way. Yeah. So, so we exactly. agree that we're going to recruit. We can recruit. We're going to recruit Repo and Sweeney from our list. That's fair. Okay. Good. That's the only two I'm going to say. And then I'll give you the actual rules and how we're going to do it. Most, and pretty much if it's been a movie at a musical, it's in. And if it's live action, it's in. There, There's going to be most, most Disney cartoons will be cut except for like 
Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, they would still count That's because they've been made into Broadway musicals. But anyway, we'll talk about that offline, and we'll come back and talk about music, movie musicals in two weeks on the 20th of March at 9 p.m. at the Tuesday, 20th of March, and Erin Marie will come back and talk about her adventures at um, – Monster Mania 39, and and Aaron Kogan will also, and the Battle of the Aarons, Aaron Kogan will also preview his adventures at a WonderCon, which is the mini Comic Con. It's like the preview to Comic Con. So uh, so he'll talk about what he's about to do that at that point, and uh, that will be it. Of Comic Con. Just one calorie, not Comic Con enough. <laughs> So fantastic. So thank everybody for coming on, Queenie. Thank you for listening to our Oscar talk tonight. No problem. Aaron, thank you for being on the show, our L.A. correspondent. Well, thank you. He's gone. Oh, he's back. (laughs) He's off. He's on for 10 seconds. Aaron, have a good evening. Thank you for being on the show. Erin Marie, thank you for being on the show. And, uh, you know, and thank you for listening. And Oren, once again, thank you for talking Oscar with us. Come back in two weeks on the 20th at 9 p.m. And don't forget, there's also a Repo Nerd on the 13th of March where we'll be discussing Rock and Roll High School. So you can find us on Stitcher, on iTunes, on Blog Talk. And please look at our Facebook pages and our Twitter pages, The Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches. You can find us at The Sexy Witches on Twitter and on Facebook. Once again, thank you. And we'll leave tonight with the winning song. Of 2000, of Remember the 90s, me. Uh, so Good night, everyone. Say goodbye. Remember me. Don't let it make you cry. Or even if I'm far away, I hold you in my heart. I sing a secret song to you. Each night we are apart. Remember me. Travel far, remember me Each time you hear a sad guitar Know that I'm with you The only way that I can be Until you're in my arms again Remember me Recuérdame Because your eyes and let the music play Keep a love alive on air